Hey everyone, you're listening to Is, Is It, it that, that Deep though? though? Hi everybody, I'm Joy. I live in Austin. I'm a best friend. I'm a pet owner. I'm uh, almost 30. If I ever get uh, brought up on tweets on oh anything, I have honestly, if somebody said this you or but look what you said here, I would probably say, oh yeah, that was me. I was wrong. <laughs> Why doesn't anybody just say that? Huh? What? I have not heard the word simple plan in like 11 years, I'm sure. Yo, they were lit. And I'm Cynthia. I am a PhD candidate in clinical psychology and I'm in my last year. I'll just say one thing. I remember in 2018, I tweeted, the baby deserves to be tall. I had to go and delete that tweet because I cannot have that tied to my legacy that I was on the wrong side of history. If you like shake a bottle of Coke, and then you untwist it and it explodes, right? Everything will come out, but it's going to dissipate eventually. It's not gonna to continue to explode like that for the rest of time. Emotions are like that too. So you should feel them and then just kind of let them pass through you. I don't even know, can I even say it? It's like, yeah, you know, I got her <laughs> Hi everybody, it's episode three of Is It That Deep Though? With Joy and Cynthia, I'm Joy. And I'm Cynthia. This is great. We just recorded. It didn't work. I had issues with my mic. So we're doing it again. And again, I will say that doing episode three feels more like a consistent thing and not a school project. Because we're actually giving time consistently. Exactly. Which is a good feeling. And so now I must ask you, Cynthia, tell us again. (laughs) How was your week? Yes. So my week has been pretty good. Um, I mentioned this in our first episode. And um, pretty much we'll mention it again and again, but I'm a therapist and I see patients every single day. And um, usually I see my patients pretty much from eight to five or eight to six. And then as soon as I'm done, I just need to like close my computer because I'm hundred percent on telehealth and just go out and live my life because it can be a lot as much as I like it. And I just need to pour into myself after. So I've been doing that. Right. And Cynthia is really good about that. She just moved to the city she's in. So she's on meetup. She's going out. She's meeting people. She's living her best life. I'm not Mm -hmm. like that. (laughs) I'm trying to be on these streets, man. Not like that, but like that. You You know, know, everybody in these streets doesn't mean like in these streets. Like it means in these streets, like I'm trying to be out and learn about the city and meet people and I think you're doing a great job of like living a multifaceted life where it's not just all career. Cynthia just got out of grad school. She still has, I think you're not fully graduated until next May. Next May. Yeah. Right. But like now that she is fully just working at least, when she clocks out, she's clocked out and she's focused on herself for one period clocked out. Thank you. I will say that my week, Adulting can be so hard because it feels mm-hmm. like there's always something else you have to do. Like going back and forth with like the police and insurance about my car, like that takes a lot of energy. Mm-hmm. Getting groceries takes energy. Realizing you forgot something, you got to get more groceries. Oh, I'm a black woman, so I'm out of these expensive hair care items. I got to uh-huh. buy those. Oh, shoot. When's the last time I washed my hair? I got to do that. Oh, let me try to look cute for the day and blow out my hair. Uh-oh, doesn't actually look as good as it did when the salon lady did it. <laughs> so <laughs> great. Just wasted three hours doing that. Got to work. Apparently, I'm supposed to be seated at this desk for eight hours. I'm not. Mm -hmm. So like for me this past week, I've literally just been taking time to slumber. And like after I clock out, I'm just in bed. If I don't have plans, I am under the sheets. There you go. Like 
zonked out just over it mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's real life that's not negativity that's just how it be it'd be like that sometimes yep we gotta but rest it, is that a proverb we it'd be like that sometimes <laughs> yeah Psalm 132 verse 12. (laughs) Be like that. And Jesus said, it'd be like that sometimes. Amen. I'm sure if we look, there's a Bible verse that um is something like, and Jesus said, it is what it is. It is what it is. (laughs) Exactly. Oh my gosh. And so many words. So many words. I'm really excited for this episode because Cynthia curated our items of discussion today. Finally. No, it's episode three, girl. What you talking okay, about? Okay, I felt bad. <laughs> no, we were getting our, our feet wet. And now that we've kind of established like a rhythm, it's like, okay, cool. Like you have thoughts and ideas. Do we want to maybe uh, dig into them? <laughs> so- <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Ooh, so pop culture, I'm trying to think, um, you know, if I'm going to be honest, sometimes it's really hard to think about and talk about what's going on pop culture because sometimes you just don't care you know, about some of the things that happened. Um, But I will say, I did want to really send my condolences out to Nene Leakes um, because it did become, you know, made aware that that her husband did pass away, Greg Leakes, very recently. And, you know, I'm not super familiar with Real Housewives. I've like dibbled and dabbled and I know everything that Twitter has to offer about Nene and co. Um, But as someone who has been watching the show pretty consistently, um, how did you take the news, Joy? So uh, I don't think I took it any kind of way because maybe <laughs> I'm finally at the point where I separate people I don't know mm. from real life. I'm not happy about it by any means. Like, oh, it of is course not. So sad. I am an avid watcher of like four or so of the Housewives franchises, them being Atlanta, uh, Beverly Hills, New York and Potomac. Yeah, those are the four that I watch. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, I watched Salt Lake City, but that doesn't count. So <laughs> <laughs> that show's a mess. Um, but Greg Leakes by far, and you can quote me on this, he is like the best, best housewife's husband because him and Nene mm-hmm. were such a perfect duo. Mm-hmm. He was so supportive of her career. Like, we know he like found her in the strip club and, you know, like mm. she became a housewife, you know, had one of his kids like they and then she is the reason why Atlanta even happened like she found the rest of the castmates or most of them for season one she came with the quotables and like yes she gave she gave with what we needed because Atlanta is not by far the first uh housewives franchise but it became the one on the map because of Nene Leakes and Mm -hmm. I honestly think like Greg's support of her was really great to watch. I don't think we ever saw them argue on the show. There were Mm. never any rumors of Greg cheating on Nene. He was never jealous of her success. He was there the whole way. Wow. And so for him to have gotten cancer, for it to have come back, like he beat it the first time. The second time, I don't know if he didn't want to do chemo Mm -hmm. or if he just like, it was too soon or it came too quickly that he just didn't have a chance. I know that that sucks so hard. Mm -hmm. And like- I don't know what else to say about it. Like, we really don't know what's going on with Nene right now. We just know that she has that lounge in Atlanta or Duluth, Georgia. I don't know. Some. Oh, I don't know. I don't know what exact city in Georgia, but like, we don't really know what's going on with her life because she's not on the show anymore and she never will be. And mm-hmm. She's pretty much burned a lot of bridges because at this point she should have her own show with 
any other network. And I feel like she's kind of just behaved in a way where it's like, well, now nobody wants to work with you because we know mm-hmm. if you're not happy, you're, you're going to tweet. Right. But that's all besides the point. RIP to Greg Leakes. He was a great addition to the show while he was there. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's really sad that because of how prevalent and how, you know, front-facing Mimi is on social media, she did get like some critiques, which I, you know, death is something that's very serious and everyone grieves in their own way. But some people were critiquing like, why is she tweeting about the fact that he's on his, like he's about to pass, you know, because she was apparently out, you know, at a function or out in some, you know, in a public space tweeting about this. People like, why weren't you by, by his side? Why were you even tweeting about it? And like, and you know, it crossed my mind, but I don't like to hear people. Right. You don't know how you would react. And Mm -hmm. before you make your point, I will say that she was at her club. She was at Lanethia Lounge. Okay. Yeah. We don't know if she had to be there because she was obligated to be there for some reason. Granted, I would think if you own the place, you can take a day off whenever you want, especially if your husband is on his deathbed. Mm-hmm. But you don't know, like maybe she just came out for a few hours to be among high spirits because like who wants to sit by someone's deathbed the whole three days that they're in the process of transitioning? Like you don't know what it's like. So I don't like right. to see people critique other people. Right, exactly. And you see, I didn't even know that aspect. I just saw second, third, fourth hand tweets about everything going on. And I was like, oh my goodness, you know? And I think that brings me to ask you just like this broader conversation of like social media and, you know, reality TV or stars who are really prevalent on social media and us as like the consumers, the watchers, the, you know, the public, like kind of making these conclusions and jumping to these conclusions without fully knowing. Well, on the one hand being like, well, you put yourself out there on social media, you know, the first hand. So like, what do you expect type of thing? Like, how do you kind of see that going on? Uh, I watch YouTubers who talk about Housewives show in intricate detail. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's one of the hobbies I picked up during the pandemic so was real. watching these shows and then watching internet nobodies pick it apart. Yeah. <laughs> Which we're internet nobodies too. That's not an insult. Nobody right, cares not. what we have it's to my say. people. Yeah. Hey girl, <laughs> I see you. I see you. <laughs> um, So I've seen people really dig deep and discuss and speak on things they can't know about. And I've seen people who do it in the name of sport where they enjoy like tearing people down and critiquing people and be like, why did you do this Mm -hmm. girl? See, this is how I know you're fake or whatever. And it's like, you've never met them. Um, I just look at it as like, if that's how you get your money, because you're Mm -hmm. a YouTuber and there's an audience for that, then yes, that is what these housewives signed up for is that. Nobody really knows or cares about what you're really going through, what production is saying to you or what was cut out from the show. All they care about is the story that they've been packaged and you get paid really well to present to us a packaged story. So like, yes, you did sign up for that. But um, I personally like to have grace in speaking Mm -hmm. about other people's lives because a lot of these people on these shows don't really know what they signed up for. And some of it just isn't fair. Right. It's not fair, especially to speak on someone whose husband just died and talk exactly. about why are you tweeting? So weren't you in a club when this happened? You don't even know when he passed. You don't know if he told her go like you don't know if this was the best way for her to let everybody who cared about him know, like mm-hmm. just stay out of it. Like you can kind of be like, oh, that's weird and just move on. Right. 
Right. And I think that's something that I don't know how long this has been happening, probably like at least a decade of the internet age where like people just feel so bold to say out loud what they think about other people's lives online. And because they're just like, well, they're never going to see it. Or like they are a millionaire. It doesn't matter what I say about them. Like they have their own things to worry about. Like that's just kind of seen as like, oh, this is just the norm. Like, I don't care. And to an extent that's true. It's like, if I tweet at I don't know, Kylie Jenner about how I hate about something that she does. She probably won't see it and it's not going to affect her money. But so see, I, if you're, if you are, you're talking about adding, like mentioning them, like, Hey, right. Kylie Jenner, you suck. You a bitch. I hate you. <laughs> like your butt is fake. Like you are so miserable. If you want to like, just tweet their name and say whatever, cause you're still miserable and you have such an opinion about someone you don't know right fine but when you mention them it's like there is a sliver of a chance that they will see it and like you must want them to see it right because you added them you know there are some people who like take pride in the fact that they've been blocked by celebrities yes what is that they're like oh k michelle blocked me mm-hmm. um miley cyrus has blocked me selena gomez blocked me i don't even know what i said to her but i'm blocked Ooh, i'm blocked by this person it's like you're so happy that these right. people were like, you're negative in my life and you need to be out of my, like, it's like, they're happy that they must have gotten to this person. Right. It's just because they were acknowledged. They're acknowledged by a celebrity who probably wasn't the one who even blocked them. It was probably their PR person or their like Twitter person and just did a mass, like all these people are saying something bad, blah, 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 blah you know? It's just sick. And speaking more about that, I just feel like they didn't ask. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They didn't ask to be treated so poorly. I don't understand how being rich or famous comes with. So now you have to accept that for the rest of your natural life, a segment of the, I mean, I guess when I'm saying it out loud, it's like, okay, yeah, then uh, everybody's going to love you, especially when you're on a reality TV show where Mm -hmm. you're giving us a personality that is curated to be interesting or antagonistic or sassy or start drama. Of course, people are going to hate you. I wish you watched Real Housewives of Potomac. You would love it. I know. And the thing is, so I did start the first season. I didn't realize the first season was really old. Oh, yeah. It's like six years, seven years. Yeah. I was watching, it's like, why are they dressing like that? It's like, oh, because it was like six years ago. You need to skip to you need to skip to season five. I believe season six is the one that's right now. Season five is when Dr. Wendy shows up. Okay. Yeah. You would like Dr. Wendy. She's the Nigerian who came Mm -hmm. in and she's like, I have four degrees (laughs) and all of that. And in season six that we're currently watching there's a lot of discourse about the fact that she got surgery. Mm, so I heard about that. Yeah. She showed up this season with like triple D boobs and like a, a big ass and whatever not like ridiculously big like Nicki Minaj but like a big ass mm-hmm. or a bigger ass and half of the cast is coming for her like you've changed did you get this surgery because there's rumors that your husband cheated on you Ooh. yeah like she slit their throats verbally she came she's so good with her words like and it's almost like a Nigerian film like a Nollywood film <laughs> she's like everything you touch will be destroyed <laughs> this is why God has no favor over your future because everything you've done, like she came in, she didn't have the accent, but it was yeah. like, she spoke with such precision and mm-hmm. purpose. It Sharp. wasn't even, it wasn't even a read like, girl, that's why your weave is dusty. And that's why you can't get a man. It was like, everything you've done is why you're alone right now. This is God paying you back for Damn. everything. Like it was so like, like, <laughs> 
be I, I recommend would love to watch, see it. I recommend that if you can squeeze this into your hot girl uh, schedule, <laughs> that, you, that you squeeze in like some time to catch up from season five, honestly. Season five? Okay. Yeah. Okay. It's on Hulu? Yes. Wait. Yes. Yes, I think okay. it is. Yeah. Okay. I got that. Okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> but even like along those lines too, like just going back to the whole social media and like the pressure and all of that stuff. I think for me personally, like I would never tweet. First of all, I would never tweet at someone. Like I would never tweet at someone at I, them. I used to. <laughs> I have I, let me not lie on here. Have you, when you were like 16 or something, I just tweeted like, mm-hmm. I love this album girl. Or like this person oh. was so good in this movie or something like good things. I think like hoping Maybe to I get, did. oh my gosh, that's how Donald Glover, re- he DM'd me. This is a story. Oh, this is a okay. story I used to care about when I was uh, 20. I'm screaming. So. Yeah, I don't care about it anymore. Hence why I don't ever say the story. But when I was like in college at some point, I tweeted at Donald, Donald Glover because I had memorized the whole quick verse in You See Me, You See Me mm-hmm. in camp, the, the one that where he fetishizes Asian girls. Uh, yes, and that's I was so proud of myself because it's really quick. Like told told me I was shit, but that shit can stop me. And it can still hungry black Kobayashi. When I talk about you, I hear a who like Horton. I was born for this shit. You're rapid abortion. Like that whole thing. I had it. And I kind of still have it to this day. As you- I was about to say, you, you said some. I was like, <laughs> kill him. But um, anyways, I tweeted at him saying like, oh, I finally memorized the whole song or the whole quick verse of You See Me. I hope somewhere out there at Donald Glover is proud. And he DM'd me and said, so proud, legit. Wow. And I was like, oh my God, oh my God. What's that like? Is it Elmo or is it like Kermit the Frog where he's like doing that? Oh, where he's like, oh, it's ah! Kermit. <laughs> he's like waving his arms. Off. I was freaking out. I screenshotted it. I sent it to friends. I reposted it on my TL, like, oh my gosh, he's like dancing. And <laughs> of course, I couldn't respond because he's a celebrity. So he has it so that only people he follows can. DM oh, him. word. Okay. But I think that's why we used to like, good people like me used to like mention celebrities like at them, like tag them because we wanted validation, like acknowledge me. Right. And I think like, you're right. Now that I think back to you, I probably tweeted at somebody mm, undisclosed, um, but it was never <laughs> anything know. bad. No, no, no. Is no, it, no, no. who is it? Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, yeah, it's okay. Was it, was it Kanye? Was it The weekend? No, 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 it wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't any of them. Don't worry about it. But <laughs> it was never anything bad. Like, oh, you know, like, Fuck you. It wasn't anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I get so confused. <laughs> and then they go to your profile. It's like, hi, at my Twitter handle, I'm in school and I'm just you like- 15. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, who is this? <laughs> They're probably like, does your mom know you be on the internet just like cursing at people? <laughs> no, she doesn't. That's why I'm here. I'm so sheltered. <laughs> oh my gosh but yeah and I, and I think all that is to say like for at the end of the day I'm sure the people who were saying those you know really problematic things about me during this hour of you know tragedy for her and her family you know did it probably to be negative and also for attention and I think that kind of is something that just has wafted over social media like all since the beginning of time like people doing things for attention speaking of which not to say that this is people doing things for attention but this actually does kind of bring me to our topic joy have you heard of the black woman luxury movement yes the black woman luxury luxury movement my sister told me about it i am not on instagram like i mean i am but i don't follow people 
I follow like graphic artists, tattoo artists, bands. So I did not know about this until my sister told me about it. Mm -hmm. And I live and breathe on TikTok. So I was very (laughs) familiar with the Black women luxury movement. And um, just to give an overview for y'all who don't know, it started off at least what I believe was a hashtag for Black women to kind of present their forays and their participation in like the luxury lifestyle, mainly because historically we've just been completely excluded from that. And it's been seen as something that only white women are able to afford and, you know, enjoy and non-black women of color. So it was kind of like, you know, no, black women don't have to be these strong, independent, like hard women who can never enjoy anything nice and be soft. Like we can enjoy luxury too. And that's kind of where that like folded, like how that kind of folded out. And um, from there, it's kind of been something on YouTube and also on Twitter as well. And one thing that anything that becomes popular um, has gone through is it's been seen as, okay, this is really cool, but then people start critiquing it. And just from like your perspective, Joy, have you like heard of any of like the critiques of the Black Women Luxury Movement or like the benefits of it? Um, I... Again, I'm not ears to the ground, ears to the wall, eye on the streets. I don't remember. I'm mixing up my colloquialisms. I don't know what people are saying about it. I personally feel like it's all just capitalism. And I question, is this a hashtag or quote unquote movement to inspire other Black women to to inspire them to aspire to wealth and throwing away money on labels that don't even tend to be Black owned? just to fit in with this idea of white people got it. So we need to show that we got it too. Like, and then uh, going further, like, is this to show white people and other races? Like we are fancy too. We can live this lifestyle. And then I also want to go further with like most of the white women who even live that kind of lifestyle of luxury, like they married rich or they're from Mm. rich families. Does it even carry the same weight if you have to work really hard to be able to afford that? Because in a sense, it's almost like you're still working class. You still work like 40 to some people, 80 hour weeks Mm -hmm. to be able to afford these things comfortably. Whereas the women you're trying to compare yourself to and live up to, they just got it like that. Like we're never going to be, the equity isn't hitting there. So Mm. yeah, no, I think those are, those are points that were made. (laughs) Like the points were made. I like the reason why I bring this up is because I've seen both sides. I've definitely seen people, especially like the OGs, like the Jackie Ina's, you know, the Tony, 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 like the people on YouTube and the people on Twitter who before the black luxury movement was the black woman luxury movement. um, They were doing it. And the benefits of it, I've definitely seen is that like, yeah, black women can participate in this luxury lifestyle and they do. And it's something that needs to have more representation because if you grow up not seeing black women as like women who can, you know, not necessarily be materialistic and buy all these nice bags, but just live a comfortable lifestyle and be pampered in that way, you're more likely to think that that's an option for yourself than if you never see it. And I got I got to say that you said Tony, Tony, Tony. And I thought of (laughs) the 90s. I was so cut off of social media. I was like, what does Raphael Sadiq have to do with this? I was screaming. And the thing that as soon as I said that, I was like, girl, I probably was mispronouncing her name. That's her at. I don't even know her. Yeah, she's name. she's uh on on the internet. She was on that grapevine episode yeah. when they went to London. Okay. If you yeah. guys are watching or listening, like you should go to find the grapevine TV on YouTube mm-hmm. and go to the episodes that they did in 
I don't know if it was London, but in England. And the topic that Tony, Tony, Tony got to curate was why do men settle? It's actually mm-hmm. very interesting. But go yeah, ahead. <laughs> I did see that episode and it was very good. But yeah, regardless, I think that's kind of been seen as like some of the benefits of it. And also like, you know, black women typically work very, very hard. They're like the most educated, one of the most educated groups in the country. They tend to pursue higher education and pretend, pretend to pursue like jobs that are um, at least higher paying. Is it equitable? No, but they pursue them. And because of, you know, those things like, okay, I can finally afford to live this lifestyle. Damn it. I'm going to live this lifestyle. So that's kind of like some of the benefits, the critiques. Yeah. Wait, before we get to that next part. Yeah. Sorry if you're on a roll, but like, can you explain to me and the listeners Mm. what black women luxury looks like? Because I'm thinking about it as like, oh, look at my Gucci suit and my Louis Vuittons and these this maybe not a Birkin bag because they're like one hundred thousand dollars. But like, look at this expensive bag and look at like materialism. It sounds like you're saying it goes into like travel and like Mm -hmm. maybe interior design. Like, can you explain what it looks like? Yeah, I think it depends who you ask. For me personally, and the way I see it is that, yeah, it's the nice, like, you know, more luxury items that you can buy, like the bags, the clothes and all that stuff. But it's also like the lived experiences, like traveling and being able to like have a nice home and being able to take care of yourself, like taking care of yourself and not feeling like, oh, I have to bust my ass 24 seven in order to survive. Like that's, you know, luxury in a sense. And, you know, especially for a group of people who it wasn't. So I see it like that. And I think that kind of goes into like some of the critiques that I have of it, or at least certain people that post about it, um, where some people might just focus just on the materialistic part and just focus on like, I have one Gucci Dionysus bag and I'm going to post it, hashtag black woman luxury. And then that's it. And then just, you know, post the things that I have and be on that hashtag and get engagement and followers. And it can become really shallow really quickly. Right. So my question that I'm wondering now is I I see the benefit that you're talking about, because at first I was like, so we need to, as black women, aspire to wealth and Mm. like expensive things and clothes and stuff like that. But I and then I was like, can't they see that in Beyonce and Nicki Minaj and all these celebrities? But that led me to my landing point of I get it. You know, if I as a kid or as a young person know that I want to be rich, like I want to be able to travel and go first class and like have designer clothes because that's what's important to me for whatever reason. But I, for some reason, think, well, I got to be a singer or a rapper or an actress. Mm. It helps that people can be like, hashtag black woman luxury. I'm a nurse. I'm a travel nurse. Mm-hmm. I'm a, uh, uh, what's the nurse that's like a doctor? Oh, practitioner. I'm a nurse practitioner. That I'm a de- <laughs> that's what my sister is. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a dentist. I am a doctor or I am like a tenured professor or I am the location manager for this production company. You know, I mean, that's not typically a job that black women have access to that last mm. one. But anyways, my point is like, I see the benefit being to show young women that are black women hey, you can live a great lifestyle without aiming for this like ridiculous Mm -hmm. goal of like being famous. Like you can be low key and have a job that helps people in this world. You can be a CPA. You could own your own law firm. You can do all of this stuff and live a luxurious lifestyle. Mm -hmm. But I always come back around to the fact that I feel like a lot of it is vain because it seems like what you're saying is they don't tell how they're getting this money. They just go, I got this money. Mm, Yeah. Up until very, very recently. So 
on again TikTok, some creator acts like, okay, I see black women luxury this, black women luxury that, yada yada yada. How do y'all get your money? Are you doing PPP fraud? Like, are you <laughs> like using your man's money? Like, what's going on? Um, and some and people have been like replying or stitching to that video and being like, oh well, girl, I'm in tech or I do this or you know I have this vending machine business on the side, just like stuff that they've been doing. And some people say like, and this is how I got here. Some people don't, but for the people that like kind of list out, like I did this, y'all should look into this. There's this Microsoft, you know, webinar thing that tells you everything you need to do to do what I'm doing. Like, I hope that it continues to breed this like collective, like luxury movement where people are like, I got here and this is how I got here and sharing that information. Cause those are the people that I rock with. I don't rock with the people that gatekeep and be like, well, you know, if you knew, you knew. And I just got here because, you know, I just stacked my money and didn't worry about all y'all broke bitches and stuff like that. And it's like, okay, well. Yeah. I mm. mean, see, but again, I have to go back to like, this all sounds good. Again, except when you think about, this is just about wearing Gucci and like designer <laughs> pumps and like flying first class. Like that, how mm. is that important to life? When you die, you cannot take it with you. Right. Like to me, I mean, it, I like nice things too. I'm not like a luxury, like designer label level. And hey, maybe if I made six figures, I would be because it would be like, oh, I got it. It's nothing. But mm -hmm. I don't aspire to be able to wear those things. I aspire mm -hmm. to life experiences. Like I aspire to one day have amazing health care where I can mm -hmm. go to the doctor if I have an itch on my elbow. <laughs> you know, like I aspire to be able to employ a therapist per like for like years mm -hmm. so that I can have time to really work through everything. I aspire to travel to all the countries that I've dreamed of going to, you know, like and I'm saving money for that. Like I aspire to live a life where I make enough to be able able to just really live life mm -hmm. you know but to me really living life doesn't equate to and so I got this uh bag and I got these shoes and you hoes are mad about it hashtag black women luxury Ooh, <laughs> look at this this new Balenciaga outfit it's not even out yet girl it already sold out or what like that kind of stuff is just taunting mm -hmm. and I mean the truth is not everybody is even going to be able to get there Right. Everybody can't be rich. Like mm -hmm. every time people talk about being rich, being rich, being rich, we not everybody can be rich. Like we right. need teachers. We need janitors. We need people who work at the DMV. We need people who are flight attendants. We need people who do these jobs that cost that pay like 30,000 or 50,000 or less. And yes, yeah, some of these are transitional jobs where you might mm -hmm. not be a flight attendant forever. But like if you're a teacher or something like that, like some of these jobs are like potential or like careers that you will spend a good chunk of your time doing. And so, mm. I mean, those people aren't going to be able to afford Louis Prada Gucci, Louis Prada Gucci, Gucci. Louis Benji. Prada Gucci, <laughs> pop them tags, pop them tags. <laughs> those are for the people who uh, know the gift from uh, the video from Love and Hip Hop Atlanta. Mm. But <laughs> that's just my point. It's just not for everybody. Right. And I think that's exactly what it is, because I think like almost anything that has to do with black culture, people flatten it and make it seem like one size fits all and that we're a monolith and that everyone has the same experience. And there are a lot of collective experiences, but we don't have the same story. And I think with like black girl luxury, again, people who are gatekeeping it or making it seem like, well, you know, I have the bags, I have the shoes and that makes me, I, I'm able to participate in this movement, it's like, it, it becomes a very like in-group, out-group experience. When I tell you, when I go to the mall in the city that I live in, it's a big, it's a big, huge mall. And I go down there and I'll be walking to wherever store I'm going and I'll pass like the Gucci store or the Louis store 
or the Ferragamo store or whatever. And there's a line of people like around the corner, mm-hmm. just a line. I'm just like, okay, maybe I'm just broke, but can, can all of y'all truly afford this? And I feel like some people are not living within their means. There's nothing wrong with being aspirational. Having aspirations is great. But I feel like in order to fit in this in-group of what people think is like, wow, this mm-hmm. is what's popular, whatever, they don't live within their means. And that's problematic too. So true. And I agree with that, that not everybody who's even probably doing the hashtag of black women luxury is like making so much that these labels are nothing to them. Like mm-hmm. some of these people live with like three other people because right? they need the extra money left over to buy these things. Some people, mm-hmm. they pay their rent and then they buy these clothes. They wear them for the gram and they return the clothes. Like yep. not everybody who's doing it. And that's, I think, I think again about this hashtag that just, it's not, the idea of it being helpful and inspirational it's kind of like future and these guys like doing the money phone it's like right. you do it to give y'all inspiration no you do it to brag to show off to feel good about yourself to read the people who were jealous in the comments or the people who were like praising you for just having money and throwing it away on something that you probably could have gotten something similar for like a few grand less mm-hmm. or like hundreds of dollars less there are like and something we don't talk about is it's not target and then gucci Okay, right. it's the, there are levels in between Target yes. and Gucci that are still nice. They're not necessarily designer labels, but they are higher quality clothing and bags that last longer. And that's where I'm trying to be. I mm-hmm. don't care about Gucci. I care about comfortable, stylish, chic, and reasonable. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I, the money thing is just too funny because I'm like, whoever said that I like I have all this money. I'm trying to be an inspiration to y'all. <laughs> I just like man. And they ran with it too. And people believe them. Like, that's just crazy to me. And I, like, I feel that too. I feel like it seems like people were at Target one day and then they jumped into the Louis store the next. And like, unless you did fraud, 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 like there's no way that that could have happened. And people don't want to talk about the middle. Like, again, my academic ass, when I'm thinking about like, okay, on Instagram, we see the results section, like of a paper, you never see the methods. You never see like how people got to that point. You just see like what happened at the end. And one thing that I know is another critique with this movement is that, yeah, class isn't taken into consideration. Elitism isn't taken into consideration. And some people say, it's like, well, why are we focusing on this? We should focus on like bigger issues. Whereas like fair, but I feel like we can do both because I think that acknowledging that this level of a lifestyle that wasn't afforded to a historically excluded group and is now Um, And people are kind of like being able to enjoy that. I think that's fair. When it gets into this like materialistic gatekeeping, you know, type of in-group, out-group way that it's kind of been becoming for some people, that's when I can see it becoming very problematic. Is there a hashtag Black people voting movement? Is there a hashtag Black people owning property movement? Is there Mm -hmm. a Only when TI talks about it. (laughs) Is there a hashtag Black people can drink from this water fountain movement? Like- I feel like it's just disingenuous to be like, we've historically been disengaged or like, what's the word? Not allowed to like be rich and wealthy. And it's true. We Mm -hmm. have, we know about like black wall street and yeah. White people have seen black people get to levels and burnt their shit down and been like, no, y'all not. No, Mm -hmm. y'all, y'all can't be as rich as us. And we've seen that we can be. And I get that the movement, I guess is supposed to be about, well, us people who are not audaciously rich and wealthy can also still 
enjoy luxury items. Mm -hmm. I just hate this black women luxury. I mean, I'm sure there are so many people out there who are like, I love seeing black women have nice things. Some Mm -hmm. people like to see people with nice things in general. Mm -hmm. They like the aesthetics of nice things. They hope to one day afford Gucci. So when they can see black women, women who are their skin tone, who all have it, it makes them feel good. And I'm not discrediting that, Mm -hmm. but I just, again, feel like at the root of all this is capitalism. And a lot of the companies y'all are pouring your money into are like old money, white companies. You don't know which of these companies built their brand off of slavery. Like Mm -hmm. which one of these companies was having people pick cotton back in the day. And now Mm y'all are like, Ooh, I'm wearing their clothes. I'm putting money. Like you're giving them free advertisement. When like some of these labels have said they don't even really want black people wearing their clothes either. Mm-hmm. Like, do y'all think about that? Like, wh- why not start a hashtag black owned black people, lu- black women luxury? Yeah, I mean, I think the black owned like movement too has been something that has gotten more traction. Yeah. Like black owned luxury, like brands like Brandon Blackwood. It's Telfar. Uh, Telfar. Like Cease. focus on that so that mm-hmm. the message is I can be luxurious and buy shit owned by people who look like me so that at least at the end of the day, someone like me is benefiting from this. Mm-hmm. Not old money white people who have tricked us into thinking this is how you can be on the level of white people. If you can buy the same things they can, you're luxurious. Like there's a lot of ways to be luxurious rather than just wearing the same labels that Kim Kardashian wears or who. Oh yeah, a hundred percent. And I think for speaking for me personally, like when I first learned about the black luxury Black women luxury movement. Shall I probably saying it wrong this whole time? The black women luxury <laughs> movement. Um, I I liked it. I thought for me it was aspirational. And I know, and I think for me too, just knowing like I feel like I've struggled like my whole life. Like I've never really had nice things. And I also kind of not kind of, I grew up and still exist in a poverty kind of struggle mindset where I feel like I have to get to this certain level. I have to work and break my back to the certain point to even deserve something nice. Before that. I just have to use Irish spring soap and just like keep it pushing. And it came to a point where I was like, I'm not going to come and kill myself, you know, for a job or for grad school or whatever. And I deserve nice things because I work hard. So seeing this movement and seeing people who are in a similar position as me, at least people who are like, you know, having jobs where they're able to afford that type of thing. I was like, okay, I really like seeing that. It's It's a nice aesthetic. And when it turned into something like, you know, people gatekeeping and being like, well, if y'all stacked your money, then you would be on this shit too. I was just like, okay, you know, that's getting too far. But one thing that I thought was really helpful to think about was I saw this Audrey Lord quote where it was like the personal, it's based on the fact that the personal is the political for black women. Is that right? No, but it is what it is. If you're black in America, your life is political you know you mm-hmm. wear your natural hair out your life is political everything that you do is political right um so you can't take and you can't you know remove yourself from that unfortunately but in that sense you know the quote is caring for myself is not self-indulgence it is self-preservation and that alone is an act of political warfare and i'm not saying that buying a gucci bag is self-preservation um but the whole idea underlying the black luxury movement self-care self-indulgence in a society that does not want to be want me to be indulged and does not want me to like live an optimal life that in an act is like an act of like you know resistance and i'm not going to go as far as saying like being in the black women luxury movement is a radical movement um but taking care of myself in this society is and will i participate in black women luxury if someone gave me the bag i'm not going to say no like i'll you're gonna da- put the hashtag on you're gonna post it to instagram and put the hashtag i will not do that <laughs> 
but also I just don't want people knowing my business. If I hashtag anything, then I can be found. And I just don't <laughs> want people to see me. <laughs> she said off the grid. I'm literally, I don't hashtag shit, but anyway, I just feel like, is it their pros and cons? And I feel like we should all have a, like a critical conversation about it. It, it shouldn't just be like, it's good or it's bad. Right. And I will say, however you define self-care for yourself is valid for you. Like Mm -hmm. buying clothes for me sometimes is self-care. Like, is it over what I can actually afford? No, never. But like, if you can afford it, like, and it makes you feel good to have a designer label, do whatever you want. I, Mm -hmm. my self-care is like overindulging in food. That's bad for me. (laughs) And some people (laughs) would be like, you're killing yourself. Or like, what about poor people and people who can't have food and you just binge and then pass out (laughs) i'm getting too deep anyways (laughs) yeah i'm glad we did talk about this topic because i feel like it is intricate and i'm glad that you had your side and i had mine because Mm -hmm. mine does come from a socialist sphere socialist anti-capitalist capitalist mindset of like of that you know spending money on these kind of brands and indulgence is like kind of wrong, but now I do kind of see why some people want to do that. And like that it is your, in your mindset, self-care and that you do feel aspirational things when you watch other black women who look like you doing this. It's like, I could do that too. Like I never thought I could be fancy Mm -hmm. or like have nice things. And now I see that I can, and I want to work towards it. There's nothing wrong with that. Right. And I think for me too, it's so hard because I'm like, I read radical literature, critical literature. I'm like, my research is on critical consciousness, oppressive forces, transformative justice. Meanwhile, I'm like, you know, on Yves Saint Laurent website, like every other week being like, I want the, I want the, the wall on a chain so badly. So, you know, complex, we're complex people for sure. So Cynthia, what is your mental health tip of the week? Yes, my mental health tip centers on anxiety and how, you know, anxiety is something that is incredibly common. Um, you know, I know the stat for children because I'm a child trained in child psychology, but I feel like this also translates to this, what about a quarter of the population can be diagnosed with an anxiety disorder, um, which is a lot of people. The prevalence rate is incredibly high and anxiety and depression are super comorbid. So if you're anxious, you're most likely gonna be depressed as well. And a lot of the underlying, you know, mechanisms for anxiety are found in depression and these other internalizing symptoms. And I wanted to talk about like, okay, a lot of us are anxious. That's just like a fact. What can we do about it? And how can we attack what we call our fear structures? Um, And I'm talking from a cognitive behavioral therapy perspective. So if you're familiar with psychology and you are not of this theoretical orientation, please at me, I guess I'm interested. She said, Come see me. Come see me. You know, and it's like I'm not saying any other orientation is is wrong. Absolutely not. I've even been trained in other orientations. Um, but I'm more familiar with CBT, which looks at how our thoughts inform our behaviors, which also inform inform our emotions, and it's like a, a cycle. And with anxiety, our fear structures are kind of like how we interpret these feared stimuli that generate worry. And it creates even more anxiety because we tend to avoid them. And I was wondering, you know, from you, Joy, when you think about anxiety, like what comes to mind or how common is it for you? Um, It's very on and off. It is very situational. And what comes to mind is like racing thoughts and like tension. Uh, The feeling of anxiety of like, 
oh, I feel very powerless to do anything about this, but I'm still worried about it. Right. Right. And I think that's what continues to like generate that cycle where you acknowledge, like, I shouldn't be worried about this, but I still am. And anxiety, the difference between anxiety and fear is that fear is in the moment. It's a present threat. Like if a dog's running at you, you're scared, but anxiety is based on the future. So you're afraid that a dog will run at you, or you're afraid that at one point I'm going to encounter a threat. Mm -hmm. And because you never know for sure that keeps that anxiety, you know, the likelihood that it'll continue is pretty high. Cause you never know for sure. You can never know. Um, but you're still worried about it. And when you, we think about like, okay, our fear structures, those are just like structures or like thought processes in our brain that represent what we're worried about. And in order to kind of like attack that, we want to think about like, okay, what am I afraid of? Or what am I worried that that's going to happen? And then what happens to my body when I have this worry? So how do I feel in my body? Sometimes we feel like really tense. Sometimes we feel stressed or we sweat or we can't sleep or eat and kind of acknowledging like how our body responds to that anxiety based on that fear structure um, kind of lets us know like, okay, now I know that I'm anxious. And then what does that mean for me in terms of my place, like in the world? So if I'm really anxious about like this job, like this job interview, for example, that I'm going to have, I'm super anxious about it. I know I'm anxious because I'm sweating or I can't stop thinking about it, or I'm very nervous. And worst case scenario is that I don't get the job or something. What does that mean about me? If you think about like, okay, that means that I'm a failure. That means that I can never amount to anything. That means that I'll never get a job because I never could get a job or whatever. That's different than me thinking like, well, that means they just thought that they would find, they found a better candidate if I didn't get the job. Those are two different things. So my deep thing would be to encourage people who are experiencing anxiety is to try to notice when you feel anxious, what are you anxious about? What is your body telling you and let, or letting you know that, oh, I'm anxious right now because I'm sweating or I can't think straight or I can't eat. And then what am I telling myself about this anxiety? And if what you're telling yourself is something that kind of really is like you, you know, attacking yourself or, you know, having this negative self talk, try to think about, is that helpful at the time and see how that kind of fares. I got to work on thinking about my thoughts. Yeah, it's hard. We, we talked about this the first episode about like observe the feeling. Mm-hmm. Question it. Oh, am I am I anxious right now? Am I stressed and depressed? And and we talked about like okay, hold on to it and all the things that you just said where like am I anxious and like how am I reacting to this anxiety? Things like that. I don't ever do that in the moment. I just mm-hmm. get anxious and I let my thoughts race and then I can't sleep and I toss and turn. And usually I'll end up going for a run in the morning because it's like, I just got to like get out of my own head. Mm-hmm. But like that again is the self-work. It's like, if I had a therapist, she'd probably be kicking my ass every week. Like, did you do what I said? Did you follow the steps? Did you at least write anything down? Mm-hmm. No, ma'am, I did not. <laughs> I right. just like felt my feelings and cried myself to sleep. You're not doing the work. Like, right. do you want to feel better? Are you here for a reason? You as a therapist, I, I want to ask you this question. I, you're not there yet, but would you ever get to a point where you would stop seeing a client because you'd be like, I can no longer help you. I've heard that therapists do this sometimes where they're like, mm. there's nothing else I can help you with either because they're like, it seems like we've worked through all your issues and you should be good. Or they're like, you're not following the steps that we're talking about. So there's nothing else I can do here. Would you, do you feel like you would ever do that? Yeah, I've done that before. Ooh. Yeah. Cause like with individual therapy, 
the goal is that y'all fire me. I want my patients to fire (laughs) me and say like, you know, I'm done. I feel like there's nothing you can teach me anymore. You're fired and be like, great. It was great working with you. I feel like that's my goal. But there have been times, especially when I worked with little kids and I work with their parents, I worked with a very specific um, treatment called parent-child interaction therapy. And we had a strict rule. If you did not do at least, you had to do homework every day, but if you did not do at least five days of homework, three weeks in a row, we'd essentially put you like on like probation. And then if you still didn't do it, then we'd have to dismiss you from the treatment because it would not work without the consistency. You could still be in therapy, just not do this treatment. So I've done it before with little kids and parents, but with adults or like older people, Mm -hmm. for me to get to the point where I don't feel as though our services are working, I would have to ask you like, what do you see or what what have you seen change since we've been meeting? Or what, ha- what has gotten better in your life or what has gotten worse? Like, okay, does this kind of align with what you thought therapy would be like for you? And if it isn't, what do you think we should do about that? Kind of put it back on them to be like, okay, you had goals when you came here the first time. Now we're six months in and the goals aren't being, the goals aren't goaling. Like the goals aren't being met. <laughs> the goals aren't goaling, huh? The goals aren't goaling, babe. So <laughs> what can we do? Like, do we, like, is it, can we figure out a different time and date of need? Do you need like um, more, do you need like a reminder check or something to do these worksheets? Do you need, you know, a more creative way to get this done? But one thing that I will not tolerate, at least with working with trauma is avoidance. I won't tolerate avoidance. If you're avoiding this, then maybe the trauma treatment, because I do that now, isn't right for you at this time. I will not intentionally say that, but I'm actively working with patients against avoidance that I have little tolerance for it. And I will say that for people who've never been to therapy, that is the first thing your therapist is going to do with you is set goals. Mm-hmm. I was very thrown off by that. <laughs> when oh, I went, really? Yeah, they're like, so, because you think you're just going to go and like sit on someone's couch and they'll just be like, how was your day? And you'll just like, or they'll just go straight to, so how's your relationship with your parents? Mm-hmm. Oh, you said you just went through a breakup. Let's talk about it. But they're like, what are your goals here? What do you, what can I help you with? What do you hope to get through in this? Mm-hmm. And so like when you go to therapy, you can't just be like, I mean, you can, you can go in and be like, oh girl, I don't know. Like, I just feel like I could benefit therapy and I feel like we might get into some stuff as we talk. I'm sure a therapist would be open to that, but they do mm-hmm. ask you like straight up, like what your goals are. Yeah, definitely. Cause then you wouldn't be in therapy. And even if you just want to vent, like I've had, when I was like doing therapy the first time and I was doing therapy with college kids, I had girls who would come in and be like, I just need to vent about my ex. And that's why they came to counseling at the college counseling center. And of course there was something underlying, like you came in for that, but there was other stuff that we got to. So that tends to happen too. Like, and that alone is valid because it's mm -hmm. like breakups are traumatic. Yes. You are not ever really just over somebody because the relationship was bad and, oh, it's finally over. Like there is a lot that you need to work through. Mm -hmm. And some of the reasons why you were so triggered or upset in that relationship or why you might have stayed in it while it was so toxic might have to do with other things like your relationship to your parents and how you feel about yourself, obviously. So like, Mm -hmm. yeah, I would assume that there should be like a lot of things for you to be um, working on, even if it's just like an issue of, I want to talk about my ex. Right. And like, you know, there is no one size fits all thing. Like I see, like, I recognize that with me saying like, 
well, if you are avoiding things, I won't tolerate that. It's never like <laughs> cut and dry. There's so many factors that can come to, you know, come up as to why someone is not either participating in therapy or why it's hard for them. Like if you need to be stable in terms of like having challenges with substance use, we got to address that first. Like that's got to happen first. If you're a mom and you have anxiety or depression, but you're coming in with concerns about your child, you should be in therapy first because you got to put the mask on yourself before you can put them on your kid. If you're not mentally stable, it'd be really hard for you to do therapy with your kid. So there are a lot of factors that can come up that you have to, you know, take into consideration. I think that was a great tip. I don't know if mm-hmm. I'm cutting you off and you have more, but oh like, no, that's, that's it. Yeah. When you say it, it makes so much sense. Like fear and versus anxiety. Fear is it's happening. Anxiety is I'm scared of facing the thing. Like mm-hmm, I'm the scared future. of the, the future of what that's that, that future scares me. Mm-hmm. And I don't, maybe some people are listening and they're like, duh. But like, to me, I've never thought of anxiety as that connected to fear. I've thought of it more like stress. Mm. Stress is fear, isn't it? Yeah. All that makes sense. I'll keep Mm -hmm. my part of the deep think very short. Okay. So like I said, this week, I've been doing a lot of just like laying in bed and just getting cozy because I mean, life, like I said, is hard. And So since I'm assuming everybody listening to this podcast is an adult, we can all relate to like life really getting the best of you. You have to work, you have to pay bills, you might have kids, you have family you need to reach out to. There's Mm -hmm. always somebody you're forgetting to check in on. You got pets you got to take care of. You have on and off problems like car problems or like random medical bills that have come from the past or just, you know, dating and anxiety that comes with dating and weight, (laughs) self-image. All of this, like it's so much. Too much. Uh, So I want everybody to think deeply about finding yourself a safety TV show. Mm. So I know I already said last week that I was into Floribama Shore and uh, update, I finished, eh, season four wasn't great. (laughs) Real? Season four was a bust. Like it was so, it got cut short because somebody in the group ended up catching COVID or getting exposed. So they had to cancel the rest of the season. And then they ended it with a reunion for hmm. some reason that was hosted by Snooki and Wow. I'm screaming. I'm guessing wow. they were like, oh, let's have the two women from Jersey Shore host the Floribama Shore. And they, they're such bad hosts. And it wasn't even, a, it was like their least, the season wasn't giving what it needed to give to for a, a, a reunion to be warranted. So it was just like a waste of time. Um, anyways, so when I talk about a safety TV show, I don't mean just a random show that you're binging out of nowhere. I mean, I think it is very essential for us TV watchers, if you get joy from TV, like me, you think a lot of people do though, to find a show that you can continually go back to and memorize and just know like the back of your hand so that it feels like a warm blanket Mm. to you. For me, that show is King of the Hill. Um, It's a show that I've seen every episode probably like 10 to 20 times five to 20 depending because I do have my favorite episodes like Halloween uh which is the episode where anyways I won't go into the episodes if you watch King of the Hill you'll you'll know what I'm talking about if you know you know if those who know know and so it's important yours doesn't have to be King of the Hill but like for me when I fall asleep it really is like an added blanket when things get scary when I don't know what's going on when I'm drunk (laughs) when I'm really 
like any kind of way. Like I really enjoy, especially when I order food, that's a vibe when you just need something to watch while you're eating. I'm a TV watcher eater. Like I have to watch something while I eat. Oh yeah, um, yeah. You just put it on the TV as you fall asleep or as you watch whatever, or you can put it on the projector as you have a party, which I did for my dinner party uh, two years ago. But like, I, I cannot explain the benefits of having a safety TV show that you can just go back to and already know it's going to happen and find little like nuggets of new things. I'm even to the point where I'm watching YouTube people who like review and analyze episodes of King of the Hill. Yes. Like I I'm, love that. They also have like Reddit threads that you can read through like the king of the hill has 13 seasons and there's just so much to explore so uh that is my uh deep thing for y'all find yourself a safety tv show and i love that because as someone who still low-key kind of listens to the music i listened to college and watches the tv shows i watched in college and has not really ventured out of that that comfort is real just knowing like i already know what's going to happen and I like what is going to happen and I'm going to watch it again. And I'm what TV decided. shows did you watch in college that you're, you've gone back to community. It's always <sighs> community. Always. That is one that I should go back to, but I worry that it wouldn't hit the same. So yes. And yes. So I do think the first season and eh, never liked it. Second, third, and part of the fourth are great. I actually have not seen the sixth season, which is so sad because of six seasons in the movie. Haven't seen it just out of- That's where they went to Yahoo, right? That's where they went to Yahoo and it was not I good. don't think we needed to see that. Yeah, I didn't need that. They had already let go. Like Donald Glover had already left. Mm -hmm. Chevy Chase, I think, was fired at that point. Mm -hmm. Yvette left, Shirley- in season six, she left? Yes, yes. So she's gone too. So oh, it's like, who know. is there? And like- all the characters we care the least about like right well i mean I oh still, i mean abed Is yeah Ab abed? abed was there but part of it was like him trying to come to terms with the fact that troy was gone oh. so it, it was kind of sad like him being like i miss my best friend trying out different friends like this wasn't i didn't need to see all that oh. but season two oh yes season three always maybe someday i just feel like it's one of those like nerdy white dude shows that no, I like don't say no that I liked back when I was like trying to like be like not in maybe impress or something or connect with nerdy white guys when I was in film school and now I'm just like I hate everything y'all like everything <laughs> even if I used to really like it I don't like it anymore <laughs> yo I felt that way about 30 Rock because I felt like I was forcing myself to watch 30 Rock and there's some episodes that I like in the past now I can't watch that show because I can't take Tina Fey seriously in that way anymore I hate seeing Tracy Morgan's character I hate seeing Jenna Maroney I just feel like it's so problematic and it's like why did people go so hard for it oh yeah because it was based on stereotypes and it just yeah, I always felt like that show was kind of racist mm -hmm. and I feel like Tina Fey's work typically either doesn't show black people at all especially black women Mm -hmm. she does not like to cast us in things uh, or if it is it's like super stereotypical what black woman has been cast in something that tina fey wrote um and sherry shepherd wasn't she oh yeah she was but see to me like she she was in 30 rock as tracy morgan's tracy jordan tra that, Ooh, uh, that yeah that character's wife mm -hmm. and he already was a stereotype 
Yeah. And that even that depiction of a black man of him being stupid and garbling mm-hmm. his words. And I'm like, this and then the like other that. the other black guy was uh, like two fur and he was supposed to be like this like whitewashed token did you say i don't like that i, I, don't, I don't like that i don't like that i don't know I don't, it's giving very something something that i don't like it's very somehow it's very it's very some, somehow i just don't <laughs> like it i i just feel like she's low-key racist i have no evidence no actual proof that never stopped me I feel like I look at these white women who have been heralded in comedy and writing and I te- I notice in the black the white men do it too the white women do it and the white men do it mm-hmm. they don't like to cast black women in lead or like supporting character roles they don't I don't know mm-hmm. why I think they just don't like us they think we're hard to work with or something They'll cast like one black man right, or, right. or maybe even two, usually just the one to be like, look, we got a black person, but like black women are not usually present. Speaking of that. Judd so Apatow is one. Right, right. And like, so I just saw something, you know, Terry Crews has been Terry Cruising, and he has just not been doing what he needs to do. I literally just saw two seconds ago that someone called Terry Crews Jim Crow, as in like G-Y-M. And then crow as in like uh, one crow. And I, you know, I, you know, I, it is what it is. So why, do, but why does anybody care? What, why does anybody care what he has to say about anything? Why does he keep talking? Because he's trying to make his money and solidify space in white Hollywood. And keep quiet. I, I think the white people like it. Ugh. That's all that matters. <laughs> he's on America's Got Talent or something. You think black people really watch the show like that? Like he's oh, he's still there. I think so. I mean I don't watch it. That's my point. Oh, okay. so what to say is like I wouldn't even know. I don't. I, I don't anything. watch it. Like I I don't care about what he has to say because I don't care about him. Like I don't know him. I think we all liked him, or like some people. And I think that's that's what we talked about in episode two. Is like mm-hmm. when you for some reason give yourself a soft spot for celebrities as if you know them because their work spoke to you or they said a couple things that you liked and you're like, I know them and I I love them and I ride for them. You don't know them, right? They're, they're celebrities they're rich they work in white hollywood they're worried about their paychecks so eventually they're gonna disappoint you and then you have to take back all the nice things you said i guess and be like i hate him actually so it's better to just be like cute he said something that was i like cool and then move on and then if he says something you don't like be like cool i didn't like that i don't like it whatever move on post the meme is that a meme i know that's from young miami right yeah yeah <laughs> i think I it's, a, like it's it. i don't like that ah <laughs> uh, okay i literally was, i thought he deleted the tweet but he didn't he apparently said that he was uninvited to the cookout he said yeah. the best thing about being uninvited to the cookout is that you never drank the kool-aid it's like but why sir can that stay in the drafts? I mean, the last show he was on outside of like America's Got Talent was Brooklyn Nine-Nine, right? That's a white people show. Oh, you're right. That cop show. He doesn't need us. <laughs> That's so true. He was on that show. I mean, he's not doing anything that Kanye didn't do. Oui. Didn't yeah. Kanye say this MAGA cape makes me feel like su- this MAGA hat makes me feel like Superman? Didn't he say 400 years in slavery? Hmm. That sounds like a choice. Sounds like a choice. He said worse. Like if we're if Kanye is still good and black people also still fuck with Kanye, then like 
I mean, are you gonna? So now everybody except Kanye has to like be like dragged and oh, you're not invited to the cookout. So what? You weren't watching his stuff anyways, right? <laughs> Man, he doesn't care. Just he leave him. Care. <laughs> leave him now. Leave him. Just, just leave him. <laughs> Stupid. But I mean, again, that's yeah. Leave him. <laughs> anyway. Okay, so that was our episode, you guys. <laughs> I love these tangents. I love these tangents, but that's the point is that mm-hmm. we get so sidetracked and then think deeper about different things. In that last thing, I think I was like surface level, like we don't know him. I I don't know him, but You're, like, yeah. but I I like this episode a lot, and I can't wait to record the next one. Yeah. Bye, everyone. Bye.